Thank you, worship team. Good morning, everyone. If you want to welcome you here and welcome those of you watching online, uh, if you're new here, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor at New Life. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of John, Gospel of John, chapter 4. It's been a passage that we've preached at, at New Life from time to time, uh, but I trust that we will uh, come at it from a, a fresh perspective today. We are on a series entitled Burnout, uh, Caring for Your Soul, or Self-Care in an Exhausted World. And the truth is that many of us in this room are hurried, we are angry, we are exhausted, we are burned out. And we long for the kind of refreshment uh, that our souls desperately need. And so uh, last week I shared this core truth that self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer others. What is that gift? You are the gift. You are that gift. And so it's never selfish. It is an act of good stewardship. And so we're going to explore. Last week we looked at Jesus and how he pulled his disciples away. We're going to look at Jesus again and how he demonstrates uh, self-care as it pertains to learning how to receive. Learning how to receive. So let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to come to breathe on us that the, the words of Scripture will come alive in us. That's what we want as we enter uh, into this passage today. So let's pray. Lord, on this Sunday morning, we ask that you would breathe life into us, that you would open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts, that there would be a moment of creative encounter that we would experience with you because, Jesus, you are alive. And you have sent your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into all truth. And so we offer this time to you, Lord. May your kingdom come. And may your will be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Let me begin this message with a question. In which area of your life do you have a hard time receiving help? In which area of your life do you have a hard time receiving help? There's one area that comes to mind often in my life. Uh, One of the things my son loves to do is to take subway rides. My two-year-old son, he loves to take subway rides. He has no agenda. He just wants to get on the train and go this way and then go that way. The reason I love these subway rides is because it serves as a kind of exorcism uh, because he acts crazy in the house. And so the subway ride kind of exercises the spirits, the foul spirits that's in my two-year-old son. Now, I enjoy taking the train with him, and, but one of the things that I don't appreciate about riding the train is having to take the stroller up and down the stairs. Now, typically when I see someone with a stroller and with a big baby in it, I say, you know what? can I help you take that stroller up down the, up the stairs or down the stairs? And usually they say yes, and it's my joy to help someone go down the stairs or go up the stairs. And although I love to give help in this way, I often have a hard time receiving help in this way. Last week after church, I went down right here to Grand Avenue, 
And I, I was about to go down, and a lady must have saw my two-year-old. He's a pretty chunky boy. And she said, do you, you need some help? Don't you need some help? And I said, you know what? I am okay. And she said, are you sure? I said, I'm okay. And I proceeded to pick up the stroller. And, I mean, veins are popping out, and I'm walking down the stairs, and she's, like, looking at me. And I went back down. And on the way back, there's a couple of stops here to get to our home. I pick up the stroller. Another lady, do you need some help? No, no, I'm, I'm fantastic. And I pick up the stroller again, and I go up the stairs. And for whatever reason, I couldn't give help in this area, but I have a hard time receiving help in this area. What area do you have a hard time receiving help? This is a question that we need to be asking ourselves because it reveals something about our lives. It reveals something about the spiritual life as well. Why do we have a hard time receiving? Now, we need to ask that question because the essence of the spiritual life is in receiving. But all too often, our inability to receive leads to burnout. Many of us are exhausted not because we don't have help, but because we refuse help. Many of us are exhausted and burned out, not because God hasn't put people in our lives, but because we have not received the help that has been made available to us. And so we often know how to give, but we often don't know how to receive. And so self-care is often this challenging journey towards allowing yourself to receive. Now, this is important because the Christian life is this interplay. It's an interplay between giving and receiving. And we often focus a lot on giving, but whenever there's no receiving, it leads to our lives being hurried and angry and exhausted and burned out. In many churches, we've learned to emphasize giving over receiving. Many times, giving instead of receiving. Now, Jesus does say that it is better to give than it is to receive. But in making that statement, Jesus did not say that receiving is unimportant. Neither does he say how much better giving is than receiving. And so many of us, because we've become imbalanced in our spirituality, we have been giving out a lot. And we've not learned how to receive. But if we are going to flourish as the people of God, if we're going to flourish as followers of Jesus, if we're going to flourish as parents and as leaders and as a spouse and as an employee of your organization or as a citizen in this country, at some point, we're going to need to learn how to receive. Now, Jesus models self-care for us. And last week, we talked about his disciples were hurried and they were harried, and he pulls them away, basically saying self-care means that you have to eliminate hurry from your life. And self-care means that you have to embrace your limits. And self-care means that you have to enjoy the presence of God and the love of God that's been made available for you. Today, we're going to focus on another aspect of self-care, and that self-care has to go and pertain to the act of receiving. And this is where we pick up in John chapter 4, a very familiar passage of Scripture, and yet I hope and I pray that we can see it with new eyes and with a fresh angle. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, and so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, 
near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. This is the hottest point of the day, the most exhausting point of the day. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And this simple question here has profound spiritual truth for us, which I'm going to unpack. Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Will you give me a drink? Jesus is traveling with his disciples. It's been a long journey, and they reach the hottest point of the day. It's a long journey, and you have to remember there's no Uber, there's no subway, there's no mass transit, and it is hot outside. And so they come to a stop in their journey, and they go over to a well. Jesus goes over to a well because he's thirsty. His disciples go somewhere else to get some food. It's interesting how the disciples are always getting it wrong. Jesus is thirsty, and they went out to get food. Now, there are many different ways to look at this passage, and I've preached on many different angles to approach this passage. The emphasis that we might take is that this story is an evangelism story. This is Jesus teaching us how to evangelize, and that might be true, and that is true. Others say that this story is a way to see the deep spiritual needs that we all have, and I've preached that before. Others say that this is a story about God's longing for us, and that is true as well. All these aspects are true, but I want to focus on a more earthy perspective out of this text. Because this story shows us a Jesus who is tired, who is thirsty, and who had great needs. Now it's hard for us, and many of us, to look at Jesus and, and see him with great needs. The humanity of Jesus is often a stumbling block for many people. We love the divinity of Jesus. We love to hear about the Jesus who multiplies bread and fish. We love to hear about the Jesus who makes blind eyes see and deaf ears hear. We love to hear about the Jesus who is powerful, who is mighty, who's risen from the dead. But we often have a hard time to locate and and, and appreciate and see the Jesus who had needs. The Jesus who had limits. The Jesus who got thirsty. The Jesus who got hungry. The Jesus who from time to time needed a rest. And yet, this is what the gospel writer John wants us to see, that Jesus is not just fully divine, he is also the fully human one. And unless we begin to see Jesus in this dynamic tension, fully God and fully man, we will not understand what it means for us to be fully human. Now, what's interesting about this passage is that Jesus is thirsty, but when you look at the book of John and look at the life of Jesus, it's quite ironic Because from time to time, Jesus has satisfied and quenched the thirst of many people. John chapter 7, Jesus says these words. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In John chapter 7, Jesus says, if you trust me, rivers of living water will flow from you. In John chapter 2, just two chapters before this, Jesus does his first miracle where he takes gallons of water and turns it into wine. 
in John chapter 7, he says rivers of living water. In John chapter 2, he takes water and he makes it into wine. And as a side note, parenthetically, I would say that some days, like Jesus shows us, we quench the thirst of others. Other days, we need our thirst quenched by others. Listen, there's some days that you are a blessing to others and days that you need a blessing. Some days you are the one who encourages others, and other days you need encouragement. Some days you are the one who is the strength of those around you, and other times you need other people to be the strength for you. And many of us have lived with this uh, inhumane burden of trying to be strong all the time, of trying to satisfy the needs and quench the thirst of people all the time. But sometimes you get tired. Amen. Sometimes you get sick. Sometimes you get angry. Sometimes you're irritated. Sometimes you're having a bad day. Anybody ever had a bad day? I mean, can we? And sometimes you just have a bad day. And we live with this pressure, many of us, that we have to be all things to all people all the time. Only God can be all things to all people all the time. And Jesus shows us in his humanity, Jesus embraces his limitations. And Jesus very simply asks for a drink. Now, all of us in this room, we have our moments of deep thirst and needs. But we often don't position ourselves to receive, receive help, receive love. Receive the gifts that God has made available to you. And so the question we need to be wrestling with is this. In this season of your life, what kind of drink do you need? I'm not talking about alcohol. I'm not talking, some of you just like, you know, I'll tell you the kind of drink. I'm not talking about that kind of drink right now. What, let, let, I'm talking spiritually, okay? Let, 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 uh, what, what kind, for some of us, we need, uh, we're longing for a drink of love, longing for a drink of affirmation, longing for a drink of community, longing for a drink of belonging, longing for a drink of affection, longing for a drink of just practical help. We, but, and yet, we have a hard time receiving. Many times, it's not because God doesn't want to answer our prayers and meet our needs. God often wants to answer our prayers and meet our needs. The problem is we have a hard time receiving. We have a hard time asking for help. We have a hard time saying yes to the gifts that God offers us. And there are many reasons why we have a hard time receiving. As I thought about my life, and as I thought about the multitude of just uh, people that I've had conversations with as a pastor, I've boiled it down to at least five reasons why we have a hard time receiving. And maybe you can find yourself in one or two or maybe all of these reasons. For some of us, we have a hard time receiving because we need to protect an image of strength that we have created. Uh, some of us have believed that receiving, to be on the receiving end of something, or to receive help, is to minimize your strength. And many of us have created an image of strength for ourselves, that we never, our, our kind of life verses, never let them see you sweat. Never let them see you cry. Why? Because we have an image to protect. 
But when you create an identity based on this kind of strength, you inevitably fall in one or two ways. Number one, you get crushed under the burden of trying to be God. Only God is the one who has strength at all times. Or you lie your way through life. You say you're doing great when you're really not. You say you're strong when you are really weak. You say you're blessed when you are, in fact, really stressed, okay? And so we, we project an image and we lie our way through life. And if there's anything that I've learned as a follower of Jesus and as a pastor is this, that we are all weak. Every single one of us in this room, I don't care about your degree, I don't care about your house, I don't care about your accomplishments, I don't care about your name. We are all weak, every single one of us. We have good days and we have bad days. And the sooner we confess our weakness, the sooner God's strength can be made manifest in our lives. The kingdom of God is that the strong ones are those who confess their weakness. This is why you should never be ashamed to, do, to receive, especially something like receive prayer. We should never be ashamed to receive prayer. Many times, our receiving of prayer often, uh, for us, we feel it's a sign of weakness. I remember uh, for a number of years, <clears throat> I would uh, somewhat, I would preach at a certain place, and then some just well-meaning person, just a compassionate person would say, hey, can I pray for you? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, sure, go ahead. You can pray for me. And they pray for me. And I always had this uneasiness for a number of years because I start wondering, are people going to think like, my life is all messed up. The guy's praying for me in public. Lord, help this guy. Did he really add, he needed prayer at that moment right there? And he just preached the message and he's struggling right now. Lord, help Lord. And I'm praying, guys, praying for me. Long prayers too. Like, Lord, I was like, brother, are you done yet? You know? And Lord, we want to pray for his dog and his cat. And I, I don't have a cat. You know, it's just like, why are we praying for this for? And yet I would feel this sense, this, this self-consciousness that to be on the receiving end of prayer in this respect is a sign of my weakness. The reality is, it is, that I am weak, that we all are weak, and the sooner we confess our weakness, the sooner God's power is manifested in our lives. And so number one, we, don't, we have a hard time receiving because we like to protect an image of strength. We also have a hard time receiving because we are scared to death of vulnerability. We're scared to death of vulnerability. Vulnerability is the ability to be appropriately open about our lives. To be appropriately open about our lives. And this is scary for many of us because at some point you were appropriately vulnerable with your life. And you feel taken advantage of or ignored. You poured out your heart and someone didn't even think twice about it. And that's the sense of shame that you hold on to. That I don't want, I have a hard time receiving because it, it, it leads me to be vulnerable, to be receiving. If I'm giving, I'm in control. If I'm receiving, I'm not in control. It's a place of vulnerability. And many of us are scared of vulnerability. If I ask for help, if I look to receive help, what are the messages that we play in our minds? We're filled with shame. How are people going to look at us? How are people going to judge us? And so, because we are afraid of vulnerability, we don't receive. 
many of us don't receive also thirdly because we don't think we deserve to receive. <clears throat> many of us have lived our lives giving, 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 or saying, being the person responsible to hold everything together that you never gave yourself permission to enjoy the gifts that God has made available to you. And so we believe this about ourselves. I don't have a right to receive, which is a lie from the pit of hell. The fourth reason we, we don't receive is because we're too busy to receive. God's gifts are manifested every day to us, but because we go from one thing to the next, we can never receive the good gifts that God has made available to us, which is why emotionally healthy spirituality is so core to it, where, where I like to say like this, that we focus on our emotionally healthy spiritualities by focusing on our inner space and our outer pace. And until our outer pace gets adjusted, we will miss the gifts that God has made available to us. Here's the fifth reason why, and many of us after the first service really resonated with this. We don't like to receive often from people, and then listen, that's how God gives to us through people. We don't like to receive because we are afraid to be put in someone's debt. And to some degree, we all experience this. We don't like to receive from people because we don't ever want to feel like I owe you anything. This idea finds great complexity within certain cultures. In my nearly 10 years at New Life, I have grown in my knowledge and appreciation of Asian culture. In our church, we have folks from every part of Asia, it seems, from uh, Korea and from China and from Indonesia and from the Philippines and Malaysia and India and Bhutan and Sri Lanka, folks from all over the world. And over the past 10 years, I've grown in an appreciation for Asian culture, Pan-Asian culture. And this past week, I wanted to get the nuances of different cultures and how it differs from one culture to the next. And in our church that has 75 different nationalities represented, it's an important question for us to wrestle with. And so I asked about six different Asian Americans about receiving. And they gave me their response about how difficult it is sometimes to receive because of being put in someone's debt. And this is what one person said, and I found it very uh, uh, illuminating for this message here. One person said this, the biggest challenge in learning to receive, for example, with gifts, is the reciprocity problem. You feel like you're in their debt. And gift giving, Chinese at least, giving, give gifts to each other in part uh, based on the size and value of the gift they have received from that person. So for example, at my wedding, my parents asked me to note down how much money the other family gave me as a wedding gift because I wanted to make sure that they gave an equivalent sized gift to the other family for their children's wedding. I assure you this does not happen in Puerto Rican culture. I assure you it's not happening <laughs> in Puerto Rican culture. You'd be lucky if we came with a gift. <laughs> and so for many reasons, we have difficulty learning how to receive. This is etched into our bones, etched into our souls, as it were. 
But when you consider the refusal of receiving, this is dangerous because it cuts off the possibility of flourishing relationships. Relationships is this give and take of consistent acts of giving and receiving. And so to deny someone the right to give often robs them from a God-given impulse to give because we are made to give. And to offer something but not have it received is to cause great strain on relationships. Isn't this why when you see someone proposing to someone in public and they get down on one knee and they pick the ring out and the guy just gave a lovely speech, everyone around them is saying, please say yes, please say yes. Please say yes. Please say The worst thing in the world is the guy to say, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And the lady says, I don't. And she walks the other way. <laughs> oh, no. Why? Because human relationships were meant to be this interplay between giving and receiving. And this notion of giving and receiving is not just a good idea. It is it is. It is in the essence of who God is because God is the, exists as Trinity. God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God exists in a perpetual act of giving and receiving. The Father is always giving to the Son. The Son is always giving to the Father by the Spirit. And so we are made in the image of a Trinitarian God. We are in the image of a God who's always giving and receiving. And so if we do not know how to give, the image of God in us is marred. If we don't know how to receive, the image of God in us is marred as well. And so because we're made in the image of God, you were made to give and you were made to receive. This is what Jesus models for us in this passage. In John 4, <clears throat> notice Jesus Jesus isn't afraid to receive. Jesus wasn't embarrassed to declare his needs. What's important to note is that the Samaritan woman didn't say, hey, you look thirsty, have a drink. Sometimes when people offer it to us, it makes it a little easier for us. Oh, well, thank you, I am thirsty. I'll take the drink, thank you very much. Jesus doesn't wait for her to initiate. Jesus says, can you give me a drink? Good self-care means that we have to learn how to initiate. That we don't wait until other people start thinking about us. Because the reality is sometimes they don't think about us. <laughs> and sometimes if you don't think about yourself, no one will. And so Jesus takes initiative. He doesn't wait. He takes initiative and he asks for a drink. <clears throat> now, the interesting thing about us is when we have needs, we have a hard time with self-care because uh, uh, really of two reasons. <clears throat> we are fearful to mention our needs, and we end up living with two unrealistic hopes. Number one, we expect people to read our minds before... <laughs> we receive. And number two, we believe that God will help us not using anybody. Well, I, I, don't, need, I don't need anyone. I just need God. Yes, 
but God uses people. Now, it doesn't mean that God can't supernaturally. Did someone, what, someone, hello? Uh, it's not, did God bring manna from the sky? Of course, but we go crazy with this. If God's going to bless me, I don't have to tell anyone about my need. What you're doing is you're protecting a false self. <clears throat> a self that wants to be strong. A self that doesn't want to be vulnerable. If God is going to answer my prayer, I shouldn't have to tell anyone. You know what it's like? It's like a very famous story of a man who was stranded. There's a story, we've heard it in many different iterations, of a guy who's stranded on his rooftop because of a flood. He prays to God for help. A rowboat comes by, and the guy says, hey, jump in the boat. The guy says, it's okay, I'm praying to God, he's going to help me. A motorboat comes by, the guy says, hey, get in the boat. No, it's okay, I'm praying to God, he's going to save me. Helicopter passes by, the guy goes, grab the rope, I'll save you. No, no, it's okay, God is going to save me, I have faith. The water rolls to the rooftop, the man drowned. The man goes to heaven. He gets his chance to discuss this whole scenario with God. God, I had faith in you. You didn't save me. You let me drown. I don't understand why. And God said, I sent you a rowboat, a motorboat, and a helicopter. What more did you expect? <clears throat> and many of us believe if God is going to answer my prayer, he's not going to use anyone to do it. That is a protection of our false self because we refuse to live in vulnerability and in weakness to even ask someone, I need help. And so we suffer needlessly. Jesus doesn't wait until she reads his mind. And Jesus doesn't ask for a metaphorical drink. He didn't say, I am just thirsty in the spirit. You know? <clears throat> you know? No, he was thirsty. He needed a drink. And so Jesus was very specific. And so self-care in the kingdom of God, is a deeply incarnational practice. It's our refusal to hyper-spiritualize our problems and the solution to our problems. Once you begin to hyper-spiritualize everything, you're moving out of the way of Jesus because the way of Jesus is deeply incarnational. And we will suffer needlessly and experience burnout. <clears throat> and so what does Jesus teach us here? What this, what, how do we learn to receive? And um, I want to just narrow it down to four things we see in this passage. What does it mean to receive? If self-care is learning to receive, how do we go about doing it? What does it mean for us? Number one, <clears throat> learning to receive uh, means that we pay attention to our body and our soul. To both our body and our soul. Jesus, in this passage, is paying attention to his body. He's paying attention to his very practical needs. He's paying attention to his human needs. And all of us have human needs. Emotional needs, sexual needs, physical needs. We all have human needs. And until we begin to uh, pay attention to those needs and not try to remove them, to say, it's not right for me to have... The You're made in the image of God. You're a human being. You have legitimate needs. Now, when we begin to meet those legitimate needs in illegitimate ways, that's the problem. But all of us have legitimate needs, and all of us have to pay attention to our body. This is why at New Life we say 
that your body is a major prophet and not a minor prophet because your body's speaking loud. Every day your body's speaking loud. For the past seven days, my left eye has been twitching like almost nonstop. And I could just say, ah, oh, you know, um, you know, I don't know what's happening, and it's just switching, it's just whatever. But often your body is pointing to something beneath the surface of your life. And so this past week, I've been in prayer just saying, uh, I, I, because I recognize God speaks through my body and through the limitations of my body and through sickness and through pain. I, God is speaking something. There's some underlining issue that I need to pay attention to. And so in prayer, I've just been saying, Lord, I don't, I, I don't know what I'm stressed about, So I've been asking the Lord, what's beneath the surface? I don't feel it. I can't call it to mind. But your body often knows what's happening before your mind can catch up. This is why we must pay attention to our body. Jesus pays attention to his very real human needs, to his body. And so self-care, learning to receive, means we have to pay attention to the needs of our body and the needs of our souls. This passage also teaches us that how does Jesus learn how to receive? Well, receiving also means overcoming the cultural stigmas that prevent me from getting help. When Jesus asks this woman for a drink, he's overcoming two stigmas. Number one, she is a woman. There's a gender stigma. Number two, she's a Samaritan. There's a religious stigma. If anyone saw Jesus asking her for a drink, This was like taboo, and yet Jesus overcomes stigmas that would have kept him from living a dehydrated life. And all of us in this room, our families, our cultures, we all have certain stigmas that keep us from getting help, that keep us from receiving. Some of the stigma scripts, if you will, we, we have, we, in our families, we hold on to things like this. I don't share my business outside the family. And so if I'm going to get help, I'm going to get help from within the family. How's that working? <clears throat> it usually doesn't. Because what got you into the problem was the family. And so people often, let's just say a financial situation, or if I'm looking to go in a different financial direction in my life, but we believe this script that says, keep my business, my financial business inside the family. Don't let anyone in. And when that becomes our script, we live dehydrated, repeating the same problems year after year after year. We have very different stigmas that have been handed to us by families, by our culture. Stigmas that say we don't need help. And then you add the church to it. And the church gives bad theology to these stigmas. Church says, just pray more. Just got to have more faith, and your problems will go away. You need God's help. Have you been praying? Have you been reading the Bible? This is the script. And yes, that's true, of course. But God wants us to transcend the scripts that often keep us from getting help. How many of us, I wonder in this room and in our church, have not gone to counseling? Your marriage is a mess. Your life is a mess. But because of a stigma of counseling and receiving counseling, you have not gone to counseling. Until we begin to overcome the stigmas of our families and overcome the stigmas of our culture 
and overcome our religious stigmas, you will die of dehydration. You will die of thirst. And so Jesus says, I'm thirsty, I have needs, and I'm going to overcome whatever stigma, culturally, family, religiously. We learn to receive by overcoming stigmas, facing them, overcoming them. We learn to receive, thirdly, by enjoying the gifts made available to us. God every day offers gifts. That water for Jesus was a gift. And it was a simple, ordinary gift. And learning to receive means that we begin to learn how to receive the everyday gifts of God. That every day God is giving you gifts. That you are blessed. That God pours out gifts in people, in things, in possession. God gives out gifts in silence, in solitude, in Sabbath. That every day God pours out his gifts in very ordinary ways. And until we begin to learn how to receive the very ordinary gifts of food and of friendship and of the things of life, of art and of music and of recreation, unless we begin to receive the gifts that God has given us and made plain for us to enjoy, we will live our lives dehydrated. Ultimately, To learn to receive means that we must begin to confess this reality. It's in three words. It might be perhaps the most difficult words for us to actually utter to someone about a particular area of our lives, and it is this. I need help. I need help. This might be the most difficult one for many of us because we lived our lives so self-sufficient. And so your marriage is out of control, but for you to get the courage to say, I need help, is to cross such a, a, a boundary that many of us often refuse to say it and just repeat the cycle of pain and dysfunction. I need help. All of us in this room, we need help. In some area of our lives, we need help. And until we begin to take the way of the cross, Christianity is the way of weakness that leads to strength. Jesus is crucified in weakness, and yet this is the power of God. And until we begin to imitate and take on what Christ has done for us and begin to imitate this life as well, we will live thirsty lives that we are not self-sufficient. And in this respect, self-care in the kingdom of God is kind of paradoxical. I'll say it this way. That self-care in the kingdom of God is a recognition that the care I need often comes outside myself. I can care for myself, but often in the kingdom of God, it's a recognition that the care that I desperately need comes outside of myself, that I don't have the answers to my life. I need somebody else. I don't have the wisdom for my life. I need the wisdom of somebody else. I don't have the experience in this part of my life. I need the experience of somebody else. Self-care often comes outside of myself. And so self-care, is an, it's an act of dependence. It's an act of dependence on God and dependence on others. And the reason we're here 
is not because of ourselves. The reason we're here is because of others. In closing, this is why Thomas Merton says this, that my first human act is the recognition of how much I owe everybody else. You're sitting in that chair, you had nothing to do with that. Someone made that chair. Someone set up that chair for you to sit in. You had nothing to do with that. You came into this building. I had nothing to do with constructing this building. We walked in, it's built here. Beautiful, lights. We owe it to somebody else. Someone made you breakfast this morning. The food you even have in your refrigerator, that wasn't your doing. Well, Rich, I went shopping, but who put it there in the first place? The first human act is a recognition of how much I owe everyone else, that I am dependent on others. This is the way of weakness. This is the way of the gospel. This is the way of the cross. And Jesus goes to the cross and demonstrates to us the power of God. And so there's two ways to live. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. There's two ways to live our lives. The first way is through clenched fists. And the way of cleansed fist is, is the way of control. It's the way of self-reliance. It's the way of anxiety. It's the way of independence. The other way is through open hands. About freedom. Dependence. Peace. A creative weakness that leads to power. This is why we close every gathering with our hands in a posture of receiving. I cannot give what I have not received. And this is the posture that is to characterize my life. I have needs. And I cannot satisfy those needs by myself. I need God to do it. And often I need God to do it through someone else. So I want to invite you to close your eyes and just place your hands openly on your your lap there. Open hands. And this is the posture for our lives. When we gather on Sunday mornings, we gather not just to hear a word or two. We gather so that we would be formed a little bit more in the image of Jesus. So that Monday through Saturday, our lives are reflecting this kind of posture. Many of you have been living with clenched fists, trying to fix it yourself. And you just continue to recycle the old problem. And yet, the answer is right before you. And so where do you need help today? Where do you need to receive? Is it in something emotional? Is it a physical need? Financial struggle you're in? You've been trying to figure it out by yourself. Not asking to receive any help. Today is a moment of confession and repentance. A day of saying, Lord, open my heart. Because the essence of spirituality is receiving. Whatever that is before, you just offer it to God. And then we'll sing in response. Let's pause for a moment.
Lord Jesus, we confess this morning that we have often lived our lives trying to be in control, trying to fix it ourselves, and yet you've been longing to have us receive. So this week, may we live with brokenness and weakness and vulnerability. May we receive the gifts that has been made available to us by your grace. We sing to you now. Jesus' name, everyone said. Let's all stand, let's sing together. I want to invite our prayer team to come to my left, at the Lord's table to my right. Could you imagine uh, dying of starvation in a supermarket? So, that's outrageous. How could that ever happen? And yet many of us are dying of starvation, dehydration because we have not said yes to the different ways that God wants to offer us help. And they're in abundance. Because we have a hard time receiving. So we end our time with prayer because prayer is one of the more humble things you can do. Say, Lord, I know I don't have my act together. I need your grace. The gospel is the message that you are unconditionally loved by God. Therefore, you don't have to prove yourself anymore. You can live in brokenness and vulnerability because the love of God in Christ. So the gospel is to free us. We're, not, we're no longer trying to be someone, prove ourselves. We're free to be broken and vulnerable because we are unconditionally loved by God. And so for whatever needs you have, you felt the Holy Spirit speaking to you, just cry out for help, whatever it is, you can come forward. And to my right, we have the Lord's table. You are what you eat. We come to the table, not just so we could do some perfunctory kind of religious thing, but so that the life of Jesus might permeate your entire being. That you take the bread and the cup in. That's to permeate every aspect of your life so that we would live in brokenness and vulnerability, which actually is the way of strength and the way of power. And so you can come and take the bread and the cup or receive prayer. But uh, as, you, as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And as you walk out of here, at the end of the service, um, I'd like you guys to pray for me. I have a bad cold and I have one more sermon to preach. And uh, my throat is in a pretty bad place right now. So uh, remember me in your prayers as you walk out this building here. Let me bless you. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you shine his face upon you and fill you with peace. May you walk out of here in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the cross, allowing yourself to be bro broken and vulnerable and weak, allowing yourself to say, I need help, and may God encounter you in fresh and powerful ways. May you receive every gift that God has waiting for you this week.
May your eyes be open. May your ears be attentive. May your heart receive it. And may out of that place, may you be a blessing to the world around you. I bless you in the strong and the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone said, Thank you.